rolling, we're rolling. We fought all day long. Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5. Scooting in for the score. Touchdown. Yes, welcome in, boys and girls. No need to check your calendars. It is indeed Tuesday as we release the first of this week's Full 10 Yards podcasts. You're joined this week by myself, Sean, and I'm in the company of my fellow Midlander, Lawrence. How are you, my friend? Um, just give me a sec. Give me a sec. Just got to go and take a selfie with one of my fans. <laughs> just give me a sec. I'll give you my full attention once I've gone and taken a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> nice right. little, nice little moment there for Dwayne Haskins, mate. I was uh, very pleased for you seeing the results. Quite, a, quite an amusing end to a game, it has to be said. Yeah, that one of, yeah, one of the most ridiculous, again, non-field, non-scoring endings to a game. Um, look forward to talking about that one in a bit. And just a bit of breaking news for all you pop fans: it's been announced the halftime show for the Super Bowl. It's the first time that J-Lo and Shakira are getting together. So if you're a fan of either of those hip-wiggling people, then good luck to you. That's something I would have fantasised about 10 years ago, but that's a different story altogether. Right, we best get crack on, my friend. Let's move on to first down. First down. Okay, so as we've been doing for the last few weeks, we're going to cover off the games that hit our TV screens over the course of the weekend. Unfortunately, it wasn't the best of TV slates, it's got to be said, but unfortunately, you obviously can't determine that before the ball is kicked off. But it actually got off to a fairly decent start with Thursday Night Football. Lawrence, we talked about it on the pod. You had the Texans winning it by a point. You were close with that prediction, mate, as the Texans ultimately outdo the Colts by a score of three. So take us through it. Yeah, I mean this this was a this was a pretty tense game from from start to finish. The Texans now move to seven and four and have that one game lead in the division, but they've they've tied up. So the the Colts Texans are one apiece in the series. Um, five lead changes in the game, which was eventually settled by a, a Nuke Hopkins second touchdown of the game. And for Nuke, I did say that. I thought he was going to get over 10 yards a catch. And this was the game that's kind of tipped him over there now. So I think he's averaging 10.4 a catch now after being under 10 for most of the season. And he got his first multiple touchdown game since week one against the Saints. We, um, with Deshaun Watson, he still wasn't looking completely right. Threw for just under 300 yards, but had a measly 10 yards on the ground. And I think he still looked like he was recovering from the the Ravens game from a couple of weeks ago. We had a a big, big game from wide receiver Will Fuller, 140 yards, including a a big 51-yard reception in the third quarter that helped to set up a Texans field goal. And for the Colts, another productive down the ground, Jonathan Williams, the the running back that kind of everyone's forgotten about, had his second consecutive 100-yard ground game, which was pretty good. And the leading receiver for the Colts, unfortunately, was Eric Ebron, the tight end, who's now his season is over after he was put on injured reserve yesterday. Jacoby Brissett had a had a quiet day, and from the from the moment you saw him with that John almost knee brace from the from warm ups, 
he kind of looked uncomfortable and he wasn't able to move around the pocket as he has been when he's been starting this season. And I think that that caused the that scramble um, late in the game when he was on fourth and seven and he took off and only got six yards. If he hadn't have had that knee brace and he would have been in his full kind of mobile fashion, he would have got that seven yards and probably a little bit more. But that was one of the, the big costly plays and that turned the ball over on downs with exactly three minutes left. And that was that was all she wrote. Yeah, big game. And like you say, the Texans ultimately needed to get that victory after the earlier defeat to the Colts. And, you know, ultimately they now move back in front in that division. I still see there being a few lead changes in the AFC South as we get down the stretch. Let's move on to Sunday night. And I think the, the lesson from this one is please, Sky Sports, check the injury report before you pick any games. Because to be fair to the Philadelphia Eagles, they went without Alshon Jeffrey, without Nelson Aguilar, without Jordan Howard, without Lane Johnson. A bit of a laundry list of key inactives, it's got to be said. And on a windy day, Carson Wentz you know, routinely struggled to move the ball. He was high, wide and not very handsome on a number of throws, particularly just out into the flat. Um, and outside of what was ultimately a garbage time touchdown to Zach Ertz, this Eagles offence has basically been stuck in neutral or reverse for the last few weeks now. Uh, the touchdown to Ertz was actually breaking a streak of 22 drives that had failed to generate a touchdown. Um, so an offence that you know was all the rage a couple of years ago and scored in points left, right and centre really has been struggling. To be fair, when you look at the actual supporting cast that was suited up here, you know, Greg Ward, who's a player that nobody would have heard of, signed off the practice squad during the week and actually ended up, you know, outside of the tight ends as the most targeted player in an Eagles jersey. So you can see why they were going to struggle. However, with that being said, the defence actually kept this one tight and, you know, that's credit to them. And it wasn't exactly a banner day for MVP in waiting, possibly. Russell Wilson didn't always look like himself, but like I say, the conditions would have played a part in this one. Tyler Lockett was held pretty much in check. Chris Carson, um, ball security issues once again, and was essentially stifled, only picking up 26 yards on eight carries. But it was a guy that many people have forgotten about, actually. Another running back on the roster that was actually picked in the first round, Rashard Penny. Um, and he was the one that actually caused all the damage. So on a, only 14 carries, he managed to rack up 129 yards, including a beautiful 58-yard, which was a little bit like the old beast mode, bouncing off defenders. Uh, it looked like he got shot from a cannon, to be fair. He had a surprising turn of pace. And uh, that ultimately was, was more than enough to put this game to bed. Um, DK Metcalf, we talked about him last week on the podcast. He dropped a, a potential would-be touchdown as well. So this game could have been a lot more comfortable for the Seahawks. However, with that being said, they won't care. They've got out of this one with a victory on the road. I think in terms of the Eagles, you know, they desperately need to get healthy and they need to get healthy quick. That NFC... East is still there for the taking. Um, you know, any anybody's still alive in that division, Lawrence, as I know you're dying to tell us. Um, yeah, you know. in fact, the Redskins can still win the division. Yeah. They run the table, it can go seven and nine and still win the division. Seven and nine to win a division. <laughs> My good Lord. 
but stranger things have happened. I'm sure it won't come to that. But um, yeah, this Eagles team needs to get healthy and get healthy quick if it's going to stand any chance. Um, and as for the Seahawks, they continue to make sure that the San Francisco 49ers keep up their winning run. In terms of a team with a winning run, that leads us nicely over to Foxborough. And once again, you know, despite a lacklustre offensive effort, the Patriots find a way in this one, mate. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that was a it was a slugfest of a game, and and for anyone watching it, it was it was pretty reminiscent of Super Bowl Fifty Three, where you know that had sixteen points. This this had what twenty two. So you know we were we were really spoilt there in terms of the the scoring. So it's it was a it was a shocker from start to finish. But the Patriots were in charge all the way, and yes, we have on the full ten yards podcast Jason Garrett corner for an absolute reason, and his decision to go for a field goal down by seven, we can talk about in a little bit, meant he had about as much spine as a jellyfish. Patriots also had um, some injuries going on. The recent acquisition of Mohamed Sanu was injured, as well as Philip Dorsett. And they have, I think, the worst tight end situation in the entire NFL. In fact, their, their combination of tight ends went one catch for five yards. And to top that off was running back James White. I joked with, with Tim on, on one of our little forums that... James White would go for about 17 catches. He ended up with one catch for minus six yards and five yards on the ground. So he actually ended up with minus one total yards. And I can't think of a James White game where he's done that for a very, very long time. And then to top it off, Tom Brady was under 50% in terms of his completion rate. Thankfully, he wasn't intercepted. Unlike the Cowboys, Dak Prescott, who was picked off by... Patriots cornerback Stephon Gilmore. Gilmore, he had probably the best game of everybody on the pitch on Sunday, holding Amari Cooper to zero catches and just two targets. So they, they just didn't go his way the entire game. And the first time they did was an interception. And with the exception of a, a, a big 59-yard catch from Randall Cobb, Prescott would have ended up with 153 yards in total. Considering he was the league's leading passer coming into that game, it's just another feather in the Patriots' defensive cap. And just a few little statistics here on the, on the Pats. Their points differential now stands at 183 in their favour. And it's their seventh game conceding 10 points or under. So they've, they've conceded 117 points in 11 games. And just to give that a little bit of historical context, after 11 games, the much-vaunted 1985 Chicago Bears had conceded 127 points. So they're actually on pace to do better than the, the 85 Bears. One little, one little factoid about those 85 Bears, though. In the month of November that season, they conceded 13 points in four games. Yeah, incredible defence. We always say defence wins championships and you know, New England continue to find a way despite the offensive struggles. Uh, oh, hat cap from me as well to um, Stefan Gilmore. 
I think probably the best cornerback in the game right now. And that interception that you mentioned was an absolute beauty laying out to dive in front of Amari Cooper and pick that one off. So a stellar play from him for a stellar defensive unit. Talking of a stellar defensive unit, that leads us on to Sunday night football very nicely. And if there was ever a blueprint for how the San Francisco 49ers want to play their football, then this was this. This was exactly what they want. Turn the ball over early, get up on the scoreboard, run it down their throats and run it some more. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo not asked to do an awful lot in this one and people will criticise that. Well, let them criticise. I would love my 10-1 and quarterback to be criticised. He finished... um, with just 253 yards on the day. But when he actually threw the ball deep, which is something he's criticised for, any pass over 10 yards from the line of scrimmage was a perfect six for six for 176 yards. So a great day for Jimmy G in terms of getting done what he was asked in terms of from the playbook. Um, Paced essentially by the ground game, over five yards of carry. George Kittle didn't look like he'd been injured at all. Let's face it, he was by far the best receiver on the field by a long way. And he he makes such a big difference to this offense. But it is, for me, all about the defense in San Francisco. And Aaron Rodgers was sacked how many times? Four, five, five times Aaron Rodgers was sacked. Um, The defensive front, Eric Armstead got two of those sacks. Nick Bosa hit the... Stat sheet once again with a sack this week. Fred Warner's been a name that's been a little bit undermentioned, in my opinion, in terms of playing the linebacker spot. He has been all over the field, and he really is the heart and soul of that defense in the middle. And obviously the secondary with Richard Sherman back there, maybe not the first that he once was, but still playing at a very high level. Um, you know, and ultimately, you know, when you look at 81 net passing yards for the Green Bay Packers. This is the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers, bearing in mind, at quarterback. A phenomenal game from the secondary as well. Um, the NFC is incredibly crowded. We'll talk about the playoff picture um, a little bit later on. And I suppose ultimately, a little bit of a shame to some extent for the 49ers that this was such a blowout because the fact it was a blowout, people are still questioning how legitimate they actually are. And was this just a case where the Packers weren't as good as people gave them credit for? I've said all along that I think that the Vikings possibly outlast the Packers in that division. We'll wait and see how that folds out, but they now ultimately have the same record. Um, Worryingly for for the Packers, it seems to be that if you actually slow down Aaron Jones, um, then you actually slow down that whole offence. And we've been used to Aaron being the... The King in Green Bay, unfortunately for them, it's not necessarily the one throwing the ball at the moment that uh, the defence is again planning against. Um, Green Bay was an absolutely miserable naught for 14 on third downs. Uh, Ouch. Garbage time. <laughs> so, you know, talk about a defence that came to play. That was very much the men in red and gold. Um, Great win for the 49ers um, and disappointing loss for Green Bay. For any of you that stayed up to watch it, you saw a blowout. Right, that's the TV games done, mate. Let's whiz through the rest of the slate as we move to second down. Second down. 
Okay, another nine or ten games to whiz through here. We won't spend too long on these, but hopefully we'll give you a few nuggets from each one. And I'm going to open us up and talk about the Oakland Raiders and the New York Jets. And you would be excused for mistaking which of these teams were sitting in the wildcard spots at the start of play. The Jets absolutely dominate the Raiders here by a score of 34 points to three. This is the Raiders that were sitting at six and five and in the five seed in the playoff picture. Possibly, if you're being honest, thinking past the Jets, they've got a huge divisional game with the Chiefs coming up and maybe their focus was on that. But, you know, that goes to show in the NFL, any given Sunday, never take anybody lightly. Sam Darnold continues to impress since he saw ghosts against the New England Patriots. He's put together a nice stretch of games. And it's actually, you know, a three-game winning streak for the Jets now, you know, which has got to be their longest in quite some time. I haven't got the stats to hand, but I'm sure it's got to be for quite some time, um, considering how unfortunate they have been over the last few years in terms of their record. The Raiders basically waved the white flag in surrender in this one. Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs essentially sent to the bench in the third quarter. Gruden knew that this game was up. And, you know, potentially it could be one that comes back to bite them on the backside. As again, we'll talk in terms of the playoffs a little bit later. Uh, but it's getting all a bit tight in and around that number five and six seed uh, for the AFC. Lawrence, I'm going to come across to you, my friend, and I'll queue you up and everyone will be very, very clear of which game we're coming to next. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, it was, um, it was a mighty relief to, to come out for the Redskins to get their second win of the season. Two and nine, but perhaps the most impressive stat of the week the only NFC East team to win. So, as I've alluded, the Redskins can still go 7-9 and nine and win the NFC East. But let's be honest, it's more likely that Mason Rudolph and Miles Garrett are in the same off-season bowling team. So, <laughs> in fact, a bizarre statistic about that this game the Redskins are the first team in five years to score 19 points and win without scoring an offensive or defensive touchdown. So we know Dwayne Haskins is still struggling. So it took um, a mighty special teams effort to, to get the win for the Redskins. We've got, um, just, as, just as a little aside, and I know you, you'll cringe at this, Sean, but two teams have actually won their divisions with only seven wins. Can you name them? Oh, one wasn't that long ago. I'm going to say, I've got a feeling it was in the AFC South. Was it the Titans? No, no. Um, go on then. I'll put you out of your misery. The most recent one was the 2014 Panthers, who Panthers. went 7-8-1. and one. Got the South part right. There you go. And then you go back to 2010, and it was the... Seahawks, who won their division at seven and nine, and the bit that you might not remember from that season well, you'll remember the play, but probably not the game. That was the season that in the playoffs against the Saints, that's when Marshall and Lynch went beast mode. So, that, that incredibly famous run, and both of those teams that went into the playoffs with seven wins both came out with a, with a first round playoff win which is just ridiculous if you, if you think about it. They both got 
they both got beaten in the divisional games, but to go in at that record and, and actually still manage to get a playoff win, I think is pretty remarkable. So you never know. Miracles are possible. So back to back to the game. Um, Dwayne Haskins, I think, still still didn't look like an NFL quarterback. Failed to score a touchdown again. And the Redskins' only score was this stunning 91-yard Steve Sims kick return, which kind of, you know, poignant for the season, started off with a muff. So it wasn't even a clean catch for a return. He kind of bobbled the ball, managed to pick it up, weave his way through for a touchdown. Skins, 13-6 up at half-time. And then that all just went to pot. Jeff Driscoll passed for a touchdown to Logan Thomas. And that was the only points in the third quarter. But somehow Haskins managed a nine-play drive for a tying field goal. And then following Driscoll's second interception, Skins managed to get the eventual game winner from Dustin Hopkins. Uh, that excited Dwayne Haskins was that he thought they'd won the game, that he didn't realise that Driscoll threw a third interception with a very few seconds left on the clock. So the Redskins had to come back on offence to finish the game. And he was too busy taking selfies with fans, which is absolutely ridiculous. So poor old Case Keenum, who's been patiently holding the clipboard, had to come on all sheepish and, and do the victory kneel down in the final seconds, um, which is such a shame for the guy because he's, he's such a nice guy. And um, personally, I would have rather had Case Keenum have a few more, few more outings before the end of the season. For the Lions, they had more yards, more first downs, more time of possession and averaged 5.5 a rush behind a, a motivated Bo Scarborough, but they still lost the game. And incidentally, are on a seven, it's their seventh loss in the last eight games for the Lions. Yep, not looking good in Detroit and we'll talk about it Thursday, but my God, America, what have you done to yourselves in terms of the Thanksgiving slope this year? God, it is awful. We'll talk about that on Thursday, though. I'm going to talk a little bit more positive. I'm going to talk about another team on a three-game winning streak, my Cleveland Browns, who took care of the Miami Dolphins. Um, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham both finding the end zone for the first time in a game since 2013 when they suited up for LSU. Uh, the much-publicised uh, friendship obviously goes all the way back to those college days. Um, much better performance from the Browns, took care of business. One thing to point out for, for me in, in terms of this game, I'm not going to spend too long on it, the Dolphins' defence. I've got a friend who's a Dolphins fan, and I, I text him during Sunday's game, and he pointed out that Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry combined are going to earn more money than any combination of 11 players on the Miami Dolphins defense which I wow. found a staggering wow. stat. So although, wow. they, although they played well and they played hard to be fair for Brian Flores I think they are well coached they just are obviously lacking talent in terms of you know the overall talent that's available at their disposal um, so the Browns did what they should have done they got the big victory set up a huge game next week against the Steelers which I'm very much looking forward to um, so bring that one on uh, Bucks Falcons for you mate yeah this was a um, 13 point win for the Buccaneers little bit against the the current form but the script was the same for the Buccaneers. James Winston throwing multiple interceptions and the combination of Chris Godwin and Mike Evans having monster games. It seems kind of contradictory that you've got 
the kind of the leading interceptor, um, leading leading quarterback in terms of number of interceptions. Yet he's still managing to get two of the top five receivers in the entire league. Godwin had the the splash plays this week, two touchdowns, but he was ultimately left in the shadow by the person who scored the Buccaneers' third receiving touchdown, none other than defensive tackle Vita Vea, who became the heaviest player since 1950 to score an NFL skill play touchdown. So at 347 pounds and six foot four, he caught a one-yard touchdown and was very, very excited um, when he managed to, to hook that ball in. So, you know, fair play to him. And I think he's quoted as saying afterwards that he felt that this was some sort of dream. So it is, it is a, um, a defensive lineman's dream. So, so fair play to him. Just, just for the records, he, he took that particular accolade from the Chiefs defensive tackle, Dontari Poe who was just one pound lighter, who got a, a one-yard rushing touchdown back in 2015. And to just give a little bit of historical context, which I love to do, the refrigerator, William Perry, when he scored a touchdown as a rookie in Super Bowl XX back in early 1986, he was just a lightweight 335 pounds. <laughs> You mean so there's hope for you mean there's hope for us big guys yet, mate? Oh yes, oh yes. And unfortunately for the just kind of finishing up on this game, the Falcons. I think we we were talking about they they turned the switch on. I think they had a complete defensive power cut um, on Sunday. They reverted back to the mess that they were before that two game win streak. Matty Ice was sacked six times, in part to the offensive line that's got a couple of rookies starting and it was only Matt Schaub that managed to throw a, a touchdown for the Falcons to Calvin Ridley in garbage time. One Falcon to keep their eye on, we're talking about LSU receivers, is um, Russell Gage who's in his second year. He had eight receptions on Sunday so one to, one to look out for in the future. Yeah, absolutely, mate. If he has half the career of the two that are in Cleveland at the minute, he'll be doing well for himself. Uh, let's move over to Buffalo and Denver and a fairly routine victory here for the Buffalo Bills. Um, and again, I talked about a blueprint in terms of how San Francisco would like to play their football. This is pretty much a blueprint for how Buffalo would like to play theirs. 47 rushing attempts in this one. 244 yards on the ground. The only surprising stat for me, they didn't actually score a touchdown rushing the ball with all of those attempts and all of that yardage. But a big day for um, Devin Singletary. Big day personally for Frank Gore, which we'll touch on later. And Josh Allen, who for me, arguably, I mean, obviously outside of Lamar Jackson, who's just special in terms of running the football as a quarterback, Josh Allen has got to be up there in terms of, you know, the best scrambling quarterbacks that there is. Um, he added a further 56 yards on the ground in this one also. Uh, in terms of the Broncos, it seems to be a little bit back into reverse in this one. Cortland Sutton, after having a couple of really nice weeks, completely shut down. He was targeted eight times, but only managed to grab one ball. Big part of that, Tredavious White continues to play at an extremely high level. I talked about Stefan Gilmore earlier when you, when we were talking about the Patriots game. You know, Tredavious White is certainly another guy that's up there in the conversation for the best 
cornerback in the game at the moment. He had a, another pick in this one and broke up four passes. Um, big win for the Bills. They, uh, you know, sort of solid consolidate themselves in that wild card position. Their schedule certainly going to stiffen up, though, so it'll be interesting to see if they can hang around. But these games that they're supposed to win, it's important that they take care of business. And that's what they got done in this one. Uh, Giants and Bears, mate, over to you. Yeah, I'll be brief. Bears get their fifth win of the season. They've got a points differential of exactly zero after 11 games. The Giants maintain the NFC's coldest streak with their seventh consecutive defeat. Not quite up there with the delightful Cincinnati Bengals, but still seven defeats in a row is pretty special. Somehow, Mitch Trubisky managed to stay on the field and got 278 yards in the air. Mostly thanks to, I think, one of, one of your favourites, Sean, Mr. Alan Robinson, who had his best receiving output of the year, 131 yards. And just, unfortunately, because he's getting the balls thrown to him from Mitch Trubisky, only his fourth touchdown of the season. Khalil Mack, who has been pretty much silent for the last couple of months, had just his second sack in seven games which if you look at his form, he's kind of all pro form from last year. He has had an absolute mare in October and November. For the Giants, their first touchdown was scored by a guy called Caden Smith. And I have to admit, I had to look him up. He's a sixth round rookie, six foot five from Stanford. And he now has six career catches for 18 yards. And I just thought for fun, I'll um, extrapolate his stats. At his current rate, it will take Caden Smith just under 14 seasons to crack 1,000 yards. Yeah, well, well, he's got a chance then, mate, is what you're telling me. He's got a chance. Uh, yeah, have some, have, have in, some patience. In, in the words of Dumb and Dumber, yeah, he, he has a chance. <laughs> he certainly does. Talking of dumb and dumber, should we talk about some Cincinnati Bengals quarterbacks? Um, oh, yes. Andy Dalton is going to return next week after Ryan Finley is benched. Finley only completing 12 of 26 passes in this one. And it was as much of a circus on the other side of the ball as Mason Rudolph only completed 8 of 16 for 85 yards and was benched for Devlin Hodges. I did quack, ju- quack, 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 quack. I did jokingly say that actually not suspending Rudolph was more punishment for the Steelers and it looks like they may have figured that out for themselves. Be interesting to see if he does suit up on Sunday or not. I'm guessing he probably won't, but we will wait and see. Uh, Hodges actually had more passing yardage in his first two attempts than Rudolph did in his first, well, in in his whole 16. Uh, A low-scoring affair which ultimately that big play that I've just alluded to, James Washington catching a 79-yarder and a nice stiff arm to get him into the end zone um, was enough to seal the deal in this one. As you say, the Bengals, unfortunately for them, their losing streak continues. Um, the Steelers, 6-5, and five, they they look an extremely vulnerable team. They were again, you know, only putting up 16 points in this one. I just... Do not have any faith in them down the stretch of the season. You know, regardless of what happens on Sunday, I just do not think they're a team that is going to cause anybody any grief when it comes to the playoffs. Um, Jags and Tennessee. Tennessee are a team that might cause some grief, Lawrence, based on the way they've been playing recently. Yeah, the combined form of Brian Tannehill and Derek Henry is, is something special at the moment. 
in fact, the, the, the strange thing about this game is so badly did we rate it, Sean, that from, from last week's um, previews, we actually forgot to talk about it, I think, listening back to the pod. So we, it was kind of these two incredibly sort of vanilla teams. But we had, because of the, the scheduling quirks, it was the only, the only kind of rival to the Patriots game in the, in the sort of second window on Sunday. So I think a lot of people watching Red Zone caught quite a lot of this game. And I think, along with us not showing up, the Jacksonville Jaguars certainly didn't show up on that game. And at one point in the third quarter, they were down by 32 points. 32 points to the Tennessee Titans. Um, Titans, yes, as you say, they are warming up. They, they moved to six and five, and they're just about alive in the wildcard hunt. And my personal favourite touchdown from week 12 was the opening touchdown from Brian Tannehill when he scrambled, looked, smelt the end zone, got to the end zone and then went airborne. And my, my favourite look from the whole week was, was not Dwayne Haskins posing for a selfie. It was Ryan Tannehill's grin from ear to ear when, when they panned to the camera after that first score. And I think that was that was just a great sign. And I'm, I'm I'm really happy for Ryan Tannehill, who's moved teams, and he's really made an impact with Tennessee. And he's actually the number one rated quarterback in terms of any quarterback that's played five or more games this season. So pretty remarkable stuff from him. Let's hope he can somehow get the Titans to a wild card, but that will probably be at the detriment of the Browns, Sean, wouldn't it? If that was yeah. to happen. Yeah, stands a chance. Well, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that nine and seven is going to get somebody in, and I think there's going to be a whole heap of tiebreakers. And I think you know Tennessee, you can pretty much bank on them to finish at nine and seven. It seems to be what they do year in and year out, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was it was a really good performance from the Titans. They scored four touchdowns in a ridiculous six offensive plays in the third quarter which included two Derrick Henry rushing touchdowns that were 16 seconds apart. I mean, I don't know what the NFL record is for someone scoring two rushing touchdowns within 16 seconds. Surely that's got to be up there. Well, if you don't know the record, Lawrence, it's not a record worth having, my friend. That's all I can say on Thank that you. one. Appreciate that. Talking about running backs, you got two touchdowns. Leonard Fournette had two touchdowns, but they were... Pretty much garbage time, late third quarter, fourth quarter. So they, they didn't really count. They weren't, they weren't impactful in the end result. But um, this was a big Titans win. And considering how uninspiring Nick Foles was, statistically, he was okay. But he was uninspiring on the field. Is it time to bring back the moustache? Yeah, we talked about it. I'm, I'm a bit surprised that they made the move. I think they've got hamstrung by the fact that they've paid Foles as much money as they have, unfortunately. So it'll be interesting to see what the Jags do in what is looking like a lost season. Certainly not a lost season for the New Orleans Saints, but it probably now is one for the Carolina Panthers after probably the game of the weekend, the last one that we're going to go through. Ends 34-31 to the New Orleans Saints in a game that had several lead changes. Um... Big days for DJ Moore. Big day, as usual, it seems, these days for Michael Thomas. And the game ultimately comes down to 
a missed field goal from 28 yards from Joey Sly. This is a guy that, you know, made one earlier in the game from 41, made one earlier in the game from 52, and then, you know, when essentially the game's on the line, misses one from 28. He also missed a couple of extra points, and it's unfortunate in a game like this that you're actually talking about the kicker um, because the Panthers, you know, played a, a good game in this one. Christian McCaffrey, as he usually does, um, looking also in all kinds of superhero, um, you know, yet another rushing score and a receiving score in this one. Um, like I said, just a really good game, you know, really entertaining. This, this is the kind of game that a neutral would really get into the NFL by watching. Um, you know, the only unfortunate thing when it comes to this one, like I say, for the Panthers is that record now at five and six. You would argue they were on the outside very much looking in. I, I think that, you know, you can probably completely write off any hopes they have of the postseason. After this one, the Saints, still plenty of question marks to ask, but um, ultimately got the job done. Um, and they moved to nine, is it nine and three or eight and three? One or the other. It doesn't really matter. Mm. We'll, come nine, yeah. we'll come to that in a minute when we do the playoffs. I've actually got some notes. Believe it or not, this is a professional podcast at times. <laughs> uh, right. That's all the games, and we've reviewed them all, even if we didn't preview them all. Apologies to any Jags and Titans fans on that one. That very much was an oversight. And we will move to our third down, and we're going to bring back two of our regular features with Jason Garrett Corner and Stats Life. All you do, Jason Garrett, is clap your hands. All you do, Jason Garrett, is clap your hands. Jerry plays you like a puppet. You really are a muppet. It's fourth and one, don't do it, just clap your hands. Yes, you alluded to it earlier, Lawrence. Jason Garrett Corner is returning. And it would only feel right to throw the man in there himself. What on earth was he doing? Just explain to everybody again, mate, what the situation was and the decision that Jason decided to take. Sure. So the Cowboys down 13-6 in the fourth quarter get to get their first real appearance in the red zone. Fourth and seven at the New England 11. 6.08 left in the game. What do you do? Do you try and tie the game up in a really big game? You're not going to get a lot more opportunities than this to try and tie the game. What does Mr. Clappy Man do? Brings on the field goal unit. Kick the field goal. 13-9. Still got to score a touchdown because that field goal, unless there's a, a rule that I don't understand about getting a four or a five-point field goal, and this is not the XFL, it's not going to make a difference. You're still going to have to score a touchdown to, to take the lead in this game. So, as, as Tim has told us um, privately, he's, he's, a, he's pretty mad with this. And, and is a, I think he wants to pack him off somewhere, doesn't he? I think to New York. I think there's rumours yeah, that the, think, the Giants uh, are looking for him. I think, I, think, is, I think Tim has actually volunteered to drive him personally. I think he has. I think he has. So, I mean, this is... This was absolute Garrett Corner classic play. 
just wimped out when, when that situation, you can understand it's one of these games where you can absolutely understand if it doesn't happen, then it's a brave move. And still the New England Patriots have got 89 yards to go to have any impact with the game. And considering how the, they hadn't been managing to move the ball at all themselves, what's the, what's the harm in going for it? What's the harm? You could get a fumble, you could get anything happening within those last six minutes. Obviously, the conditions were horrendous throughout the game. It was just rain, 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 rain. It was kind of like a, like a game in Seattle than, than anything else. So, yeah, poor decision, wimp decision, and cost them the game. Yeah, no, I can't disagree, mate. I think, like you say, all things considered, you know, they hadn't been anywhere near the New England goal line, like you say, throughout the game. Uh, I suppose he would argue that he side got the ball back, so therefore, in theory, if they go and ultimately score a touchdown, they then win the game. But, you know, getting the ball back with 95 yards to go against a defence that you've struggled to move the ball against all game long, like you say... For me, yeah, a cowardly decision um, and one that ultimately probably, you know, we can't say cost the, the Cowboys the game. We don't know because obviously, you know, they may well have not converted, but certainly I would suggest cost them the chance um, to go and win that game. Right, that's Jason Garrett Corner done and the man has regained his crown. So let's throw some stats at you with Stats Life. Stats. Stats. So, Lawrence, go on, hit me up. Wear me with some amazingness. What's your first stat of the week? Number one goes to the Buccaneers receiver, Mike Evans, who had, in, in the game by itself, a relatively quiet game, five catches for 50 yards, but he's in pretty rarefied air as only the second wide receiver in NFL history to have six back-to-back consecutive 1,000-yard seasons to be in a career, which you've got to give the guy credit for. And before all you historians say anything, oh, but what about Jerry Rice? His rookie season, he had 927 yards. So even Jerry Rice can't lay claim to having six consecutive thousand yard seasons to start his career yep fair play to Mike Evans another personal milestone I'm going to mention Frank Gore we've talked about him a fair bit and it seems only right now he's moved up yet another spot on the career rushing yard stats he had 65 yards on the ground in the Bills win over the Broncos which moves him to 15,289 that moves him ahead of Barry Sanders up to third Next up is Walter Payton, 16,726, so it's a fair way in the distance. Do we think Gore's going to play another season and potentially have a shot at it, Lawrence? I think he might play another season. I can't see him reaching Walter Payton with the, with the greatest of respect to Frank Gore. But don't forget, anything, anytime you say anything against Frank Gore, he will prove you wrong. So who's to say he doesn't do a, a Tom Brady and start running into into his 40s which would be ridiculous that would so be that, yeah I mean that that the only person I can think of as a kind of another skill player is going back in way back in time is George Blander who lasted into his 40s so that you know there's very very few I think Jerry Rice 
again had a had a dabble in his forties, but kind of didn't do much. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't see him getting past number three. But to reach number three all time, we just you know take a bow, Frank Gore. Indeed, got another one for me. I have talking. About, I, I, I feel like it's a, a Jerry Rice week. So. Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones passed Calvin Megatron Johnson yesterday to move up to 30th in all-time receiving yards. And for Julio, he now stands at 11,681 yards. And by this time next year, I estimate he's going to crack the top 20. He's going to move up 10 places in the, in the all-time receiving charts. And he just needs one season to do that. But going back to Jerry Rice, he needs what Julio needs, just the 11,215 yards to pass Jerry Rice at number one. There you go. I'm going to talk about a team that have got hot for my next one. So the New York Jets, they scored 34 points for the third consecutive game, meaning over the last three games, they've scored 102 points. Through the first nine weeks of the season combined, they'd scored a measly 96 so talk about a team getting hot at the right time. They've probably left it a little bit too late, but certainly the Jets trending in the right direction. Final one from you this week, mate. I've got to give some give some props to the man with the strangest kind of, I don't know what you call it, an armadillo's tail poking out the back of his helmet, Mr. Derek Henry. I don't, do you know what that thing is? On the, the kind of, I don't know what it is. It's just bizarre. It looks like something you'd, You'd find, not that you stick on the back of your head. Since week 14 last season, Derek Henry actually leads the league in rushing and in touchdowns. And he was the leading rusher in week 12 with 159 yards against the Jaguars, beating the second running back by a margin of 30 yards. Incidentally, week 14 last season, the Titans also beat the Jaguars. And that was when Henry had that all time leading. 99-yard rushing touchdown. So, obviously, he's, he's very sorry and he's apologised to all his fans that his longest touchdown on Sunday was just a measly 74 yards. So, Derek Henry, what are you doing? Come on, you know, can you, can you, can you get a bit of a longer touchdown than 74? It's just simply not good enough. Do, do you know what? Fair play to Derek Henry, because if you were to say to anybody... Name the top three running backs in the NFL. I'm sure Derrick Henry's name would not come up at all. You know, he's a, he's a very, very underrated player and he really has got a burst of speed. You just associate him as being a big guy that's going to run people over. But, you know, you look at that 74-yard scramble and, you know, there's, there's defenders trying to keep up with him and they just can't get near him. So, fair play indeed. I'm going to finish off this week with a little bit of NFL history and a big shout out to Russell Wilson, who becomes the only quarterback in NFL history to lead his team to winning seasons in each of his first eight campaigns. It's always amazing that Russell Wilson's been playing now for eight years. He still seems very much like a youngster, but since 2012, when he started playing for the Seahawks, they've had winning seasons. And obviously, after the win on Sunday, they moved to 9-2 and two to seal yet another winning season for Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. So congratulations to him. Plenty of individual 
efforts there from us in terms of stats life this week. Hit us up with some of yours if we've missed them. And we will move straight on to fourth down to bring you up to speed with where we are with the playoffs. Fourth down. Okay, we said last week we will keep you up to speed with where things are from the playoffs perspective. So here is your update at the end of week number 12. We'll start in the AFC and in terms of the first seed, no surprise, the New England Patriots at 10-1. and At time of recording this podcast, we don't know how the Ravens have got on in Monday Night Football. They sit in the second seed currently at 8-2. The third seed occupied by the Texans following their big win over the Colts at 7-4. And And then the Chiefs are the other division leader currently. They're at 7-4 in their respective division. In terms of the wild card, you've got the Bills at eight and three, and the Steelers in the six seed currently at six and five. Lawrence, there's loads of teams technically in the hunt. Even the Miami Dolphins are not yet eliminated from playoff contention. But in terms of the AFC, it's very, very crowded, particularly for that wild card spot. How do you see this panning out as of this week? Ridiculously. With just the Monday night game to go, 31 of 32 NFL teams are mathematically still in contention. So let's let's just put a little little RIP on the 2019 Cincinnati Bengals, who at at this time of recording are the only team eliminated officially from the playoffs. So we're talking about the AFC, the Five and six Browns, are, I think, are warming up nicely. But have they left it too late to begin a playoff push? We've got the Raiders, the Colts and the Titans all at six and five. Probably in terms of form, we're looking at the Titans, who have that, that strongest team at the moment. But they've only got that one game advantage over the Browns. And I think out of those four teams that are sitting right on the kind of outside looking in, and I'm not just saying this, Sean, to, to be nice to you, I think the Browns do have the, the best and most talented roster of those teams that are, that are on the playoff bubble. They've just got to, they've got to prove it now. They've, they're, they're coming on hot at the right time. And the rest of the AFC, Jaguars, Chargers, Jets, Broncos, Dolphins, you know, good night, Vienna. Yeah, I, I, I sort of jokingly said this when I was on with Tim. I don't know if it was you know two weeks ago now or something that there was a pathway for the Browns. And when you think that they've got two games against the Bengals to come, they've got the Arizona Cardinals to come, and it's a huge game on Sunday. But like I say, I, I'm not you know, and again, it's no personal bias here. I, I just genuinely do not see the see the Steelers, despite sitting in that wild card spot. As a playoff team, I really, really don't. The defence, yeah, is great, but certainly offensively, they're not gaining enough production. I think the other thing that works in the Browns' favour here is obviously the Titans, Colts and Texans are all playing each other over the course of the next few weeks. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it shapes out in each week that goes by. Uh, it will become a little bit clearer. Um we will probably sound a little bit like a broken record for the next few weeks because it certainly looks a lot clearer in the NFC. But we will go through it with you. I think it's really just a case of deciding seedings, to be honest. But again, we will run down where we are. Number one seed, San Francisco at 10-1. and one. 
Number two seed, the New Orleans Saints at nine and two. Third seed currently are Green Bay at eight and three. And the fourth seed, the Dallas Cowboys at six and five. The wild cards looking pretty secure, it's got to be said. The Seahawks, the fifth seed at nine and two. And the Vikings, the sixth seed at eight and three. Lawrence, in terms of anybody that's still in the hunt, as you say, mathematically speaking, even your two and nine Redskins are still in there. Um, how do you see this panning out? Is it just a case of actually these six that are, are in there now jostling for position, or do you see anybody coming out the pack to make a late run outside of the NFC East, which obviously is still up uh, in terms of division title? I was about to say, yeah, there, there's... Alongside the Browns, who currently have a losing record, there's only one other team that has a realistic shot with a with a losing record at the moment of of hitting the postseason. That's the Eagles, who are standing at five and six and looking pretty dreadful at five and six. But they're only one game behind the Cowboys in the NFC East, and that can change quite drastically, as we said in in the last five weeks of the season. Elsewhere. I think it's too late. The Panthers at five and six, no. Anything beyond anything below the Panthers, Buccaneers, Lions, Cardinals, Redskins, Giants, Falcons, let's not even go there. And the Bears, who technically are the eighth seed at the moment above the Eagles, they're not going anywhere either. The Rams at six and four, they arguably have the talent to do something, but Jared Goff has been um, a damp squib for most of the season and I can't see them getting anywhere near catching the the Packers. Seahawks and Vikings are a lock. It's only for some reason will the Packers go into collapse mode and the Rams catch them, but I don't see that happening. So, as you say, I think the NFC is pretty much locked in terms of where we are now with just the, the Eagles and the Cowboys able to flip-flop. Yeah, I would pretty much agree. I mean, obviously, if the Rams win tonight, then potentially that changes things. Just a quick prediction on that, mate, because I can see the referees approaching us. But very quickly, what's the prediction? Monday Night Football tonight, Ravens at Rams? Big blowout win for the Ravens. We will wait and see. We'll talk about that later in the week. Right, the referees are upon us, mate, so it must be time for the two-minute warning. That's the two-minute warning. Okay, two minutes to squeeze in as much as I can in terms of what's going on at full 10 yards. So, in terms of your regular content, keep your eyes peeled for the takeaways from the weekend. And as we get towards the next week's slate of games, the look-aheads, they'll be coming out as usual. Plenty of fancy content. Get aboard the hype train and get all your starts, sits, waiver wire ads, all of that kind of good stuff will be coming out as usual. College will return on Tuesday in terms of the podcast with Lee. Um, so always look forward to listening to that. Um, that will be with you on Tuesday tonight, probably. As He's obviously going to be landing on Tuesday morning. It's a big week in the NFL as it's Thanksgiving over in the States. So I know Lawrence has already got prepared for us a cracking article with regards to Thanksgiving in terms of the history of that in the NFL and also some bits and pieces around why it's such a historic and important occasion over in the States, so look out for that. We will actually be getting back together on Wednesday, um, so the podcast will be with you Thursday morning. 
for your commute into work, fingers crossed, um, because obviously there are three games kicking off at, well, starting from half past five on Thursday. So I hope you all took Lawrence's advice and grabbed yourself some cranberry sauce when you were out doing your shopping this weekend. Final thing from us just before we wrap up, just a reminder that NFL Shop does have a Thanksgiving sale on getting you 15% off anything on the website. Use our code FULL10 for an extra 10% off. It won't be long now before the big man is loading up his sleigh. I've seen a few Christmas trees, baubles and tinsel around, so we're getting close to Christmas. Get those orders in and get yourself some discount on your merch. I think that was a pretty good two-minute roundup, mate, of where we are with a full 10 yards. Plenty of going on, so just keep your eyes peeled, and there'll be plenty of content winging its way to you. So we're going to round off Tuesday's edition of the pod. So it's goodbye from Lawrence. Take care, everybody. And it's goodbye from me. In the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.